Welcome to the podcast. I'm J.B. LaSalle, author of Born of Wind, a fantasy book of a sort, published by Vulpine Press. Bam, 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 but they don't know I'm making this podcast. I'm sure when they find out, they'll be happy about it. Trust me. Okay, this is an episode about evolution and silliness and the concept of neoteny, which I will get into. Let's get started. Welcome, friends, to whatever the hell this is. I'm J.B. LaSalle. Last we spoke, I don't remember what it was. Anyways, uh, I've been thinking about evolutionary biology and how, (laughs) you know, there's a really funny concept in it that hasn't been thought about or, like, gets sort of treaded over and ignored a lot uh, that really stuck with me, and I'm only remembering this now. And it's the concept of neoteny. I may have mentioned this before, I can't remember. But it's where evolutionary biologists have figured out that a dog is just a wolf that stays a puppy all its life. It's basically a wolf puppy for the duration of its life. And it never grows up into the quote-unquote adult phase of a wolf. And scientists didn't really know what to make of this. They basically just chalked it up to like, well, you know, when we domesticated uh, wolves into foxes, uh, foxes, (laughs) tricksters right there. When we domesticated wolves into dogs, we, uh, we brought out their, we loved their puppy traits and therefore, uh, that's what they became. And it's a little known fact, or it's also sometimes as a sort of uh, footnote described as the fact that humans have also been domesticated by dogs. You know, our sense of smell got worse because we didn't need it anymore because we had dogs to do that for us. You know, they guard things for us. And therefore, we didn't have to be so big and strong and bulky either. And thus, humans became a neotenous form of whatever we were before. So, like, Neanderthals are sort of more ape-like. You know, humans are more, more like, roo, 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 you know, more like big and tough and bulky and muscular. Look at a chimp. Have you ever, side note, have you ever looked at a picture of a shaved chimp? Because sometimes they need to get shaved for various reasons, uh, health reasons, I assume. But they're muscular. They look like bodybuilders. Humans do not. We're like mushy. What? And that's because we're a child form of of a primate that just stays that way. So we're like an ape child all our lives. And that's interesting because then if you want to chalk, throw in... So this is my biology background talking here. And then let's go with the psychology. Let's go with like the spiritual thing, right? We're all trying to ascend to something. What are we doing? What are we trying to go to? You know, we're all trying to learn that love is the answer. But how can love be the answer when the world's so messed up? Uh, You know, this conundrum I've been uh, jumping around, fighting, struggling with the bull horns on this, of course, like the rest of us. And, like, it kind of just occurred to me today that, you know, if evolution is going in that direction, the biologists agree, what if it kept going in that direction? Maybe that's where it's meant to go, you know? We had big fighting dinosaurs before. Things are kind of getting more peaceful. Like, we've kind of also just horribly killed off all the, like, animals that are the biggest and toughest as humans in general. That's the world we built. It's the world we wanted. We're kind of all nostalgic for our childhoods. There's a bunch of pieces in this puzzle lining up. <laughs> Anyways, the point that I'm getting to <laughs> is that what if the next human evolutionary step is just the next level of neoteny, aka the next level of um, embracing childhood, 
if we made the world more like how it, ourselves as a child, you know, would have wanted the world to be like, yes, we wanted fairies to be real and all that stuff. But, and we want, you know, we've sort of done that in some ways, right? Like television, the, we all want to be like actors. We all want to be beloved by everyone. We all want to be um, making believe all day playing, um, you know, our secret fantasy is real, which is to live sort of the ideal childhood forever. And when I think of that, I think of it as like, everything can be silly. Uh, everyone's learning and growing, but it's fun. And you can also just relax and rest and there's no consequences. There's no like pressure to like, you know, blah, 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 ideal world that we're all just like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's not how the world is. But like, in our own minds, if we are wanting to be true to our authentic selves and build a better world. And that this world is a consensus reality based on what we want the world to become. And yeah, it won't happen overnight, but we're all growing in this direction, in fact. That's what I would argue. Because if you look at people who are like, oh, it's all about being yourself. It's all about being your authentic self. You know, screw the haters. Um, I mean, I don't know why we're hating haters. I think that's a little circular reasoning there um i think it's more about learning to appreciate everything and being like wow others are like if when we take the life too seriously we are suffering and when we lighten up and let ourselves cry a little bit about you know the good things and how appreciative we are about them and those moments in between the suffering then we can realize that you know, and no matter how bad our problems are, we will die one day, and those problems will end. They are not eternal. You know, that's kind of like a weird hidden thing that's nice about it. Like, you know, regardless of what happens when we die, it would be a nice thing to aim towards the idea that we are eternal beings. That seems to be uh, a truth about the universe. Like, why would we have built this? What is this world anyways, you know? I'm not trying to get into it, but you know, my whole point of this episode is really just the idea of neoteny and about uh, if when we embrace the concept of silliness more mindfully day to day and look for areas of silliness and and like where a child would point them out. And also in those moments where things are so not silly <laughs> that they're just really sad, we can cry about that and then we see the profound beauty in it. Because silliness and beauty actually go hand in hand. It's like there's such a beauty. Like seriousness doesn't have to be the opposite of silliness. Beauty can be the opposite of silliness, but they go together. They're like equal opposites that we that we love together, which is you can cry for the beauty of something. You can cry out of appreciation. You can cry because it's silly that we've all fucked up this world so much. We can cry because everything is fucked up at our own hand and sort of cry in appreciation and beauty for all of ourself and each other now and past and future who suffer in all these minute ways who are themselves unaware that they are beautiful actors. And it's sad. Everything can be seen as sad. But in that sadness is a profoundness of beauty and silliness. And that is the 
entire point that I am trying to make. It has taken me a long time to sort of come to this conclusion in my mind, um, but it has caused me to uh, cry at the beauty and silliness and wonder and everything. You know, if you can find a place in your life that's silly, or why am I, like, it's so sad and silly and, that I argue that I argue with my family, or that I have car problems, or that I have no job or something. You know, that life's not going my way. There's a million ways life can be not going our way. <laughs> and we're all just actors who forgot. Can you imagine? And I've been sort of forging a relationship here with the, uh, taking a page from the, the inner children who have befriended those uh, the DMT elves, who I'm pretty sure are the same people who brought this world has been brought to you by in terms of animals and children. Just watch an animal video. Look at animals. They're always like falling on their faces and getting up like, hey, I'm fine, and then people are laughing, right? That's how reality is before it gets too serious. You know, when we start taking things too seriously, we start getting all stuffed up. We hold on to things. We get upset. We start wars. We take things too personally and too seriously. You know, a lot of the biggest suffering in the world has happened because we took things too seriously or by individuals who took things too seriously. You know, nobody wanted to fuck 16-year-old Hitler or 14-year-old whatever, puberty Hitler, and therefore he couldn't find a girl that liked him and nobody liked him and he didn't feel loved enough and so he took the world too seriously, got really mad and started fucking shit up. Made everything the worst possible case scenario. There it is. And it's like... It's kind of silly that this is how our world works. Our world is ridiculous. We have terrible tragedies that occur from just ridiculous things. And it's profoundly sad. It's sad and silly at the same time. That's why I think we think of silliness as like mockery, which would be silly plus funny. But if you think of silly plus sad ridiculousness, you just apply silliness to sadness or apply silliness to laughing. And then you have the laughing Buddha and the crying Buddha, the shadow and the light. What happens in the shadow? The crying. What happens in the light? The laughing. If you apply silliness to it all, because it all is just silliness, I think you'll be a lot more well-adjusted in this world. I'm finding that it is the case for me at this moment. So go ahead and try some practices. I've got a whole bunch. Stay tuned. So if you're wanting to take the term silly plus sad and, you know, access the depths of the shadows <laughs> of the crying children inside of you, it's like um, the one of us, the, the part of us that wails at the world. It's like standing on the mountaintop crying forever. And it's like that crying, endlessly crying Buddha is not pathetic. He's not weak. He doesn't not know what he's doing. He's an actor. He knows what he's doing and he's euphoric about it. It's beautiful sadness crying. That is a euphoric feeling. And it's not funny. This <laughs> is, I think, the point. It is it is silly. It is kind of funny. It is silly. It is, actually. That's the yin and yang of it all. That's the circle that is, you know, whether there's a self-awareness or not is kind of the only factor. But, you know, there is this uh, concept in Jewish lore about a person who sits on top of, who sits like on God's a mountain next to God or something, I don't know. And it's like, he's there's a lake based on of his tears and he just cries and cries forever because of all the suffering going on in the world. And he's like, ah, it's just so sad. I'm gonna cry until you change it and make it less sad, God. I'm just gonna keep crying on your shoulder until you figure this, until you stop all this suffering. 
And at first, and I think about this from time to time over the last few years, uh, when I go through things and it's like moments of, well, that guy is really stupid. Like, why would he just waste all his time crying like that? Or, and then at some point I'd be like, no, he's a genius because he gets euphoric. He feels really good about it. So he's actually a genius. He just loves doing that. And then it's like, oh, he does it because he's a good person or he does it because this or that. And like, you can just attribute a million things to it. But in the end of the day, uh, it's kind of like the Jewish version of the concept of the crying Buddha, which is like either hidden or not hidden. I think of it as the most, it's hidden, but it's because it's the least understood. It's the, it's really the like shadow side of reality, but it's like the laughing Buddha is the one that we're all like trying to strive towards and try to go towards the laughing Buddha, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, there's this whole like light and dark thing, yin and yang thing. How do we do both? And it's like, well, that's the whole concept of the crying Buddha. It's not like, oh, I have to be sad and have a terrible time all the time because there's like this, but there's this feeling of like, well, to be a moral person, I don't want to be laughing. This is because some part of you is saying that it's saying, I don't want to be laughing all the time when there's serious suffering in the world, but I want to be laughing all the time because I don't want to be crying all the time because I don't want to be suffering all the time. So how do we get out of this world of suffering to get into a world of light or get into a world of happiness? But how do we balance all these parts? There's so many contradictions in spirituality. I'm going nuts here. What the hell? everything is acting. That's the bottom line. <laughs> That's what the DMTLs are trying to teach you. That they think of everything as practice, learning, taking things seriously is just a part of focusing. But the human evolution is slowly moving towards neoteny again, the next level of not forgetting our childhood. It's like we cap out at 14. That is when we kind of like are learning adult scripts when I was learning how to like answer a phone and get over all these adulting fears it was like all about learning a script like how do you uh interact professionally how like you know you do it as a little kid too hello how are you I'm fine thank you <laughs> all that stuff you know and um then you do it again at the precipice of adulthood how do you do sexual things you, you, there's intuition and there's scripted conversation. Uh, you know, I'm all over the place here, but you know, the point is that I've lost my point. <laughs> the point is the crying Buddha and the laughing Buddha. And that we think it's suffering to cry. We, we're all afraid of crying that we're going to like suffocate and die. It's like, it doesn't work like that. I can tell you, I've spent the last eight months learning how to cry and learning how to view crying in the last several as I say eight months yeah since my dad passed away and I've been on a quote-unquote spiritual journey going what the hell is all of this <laughs> you know what the answer is the more we take things too when we when we stop taking things remember when we forget the silliness and we start taking things too seriously is when we just start mucking it all up and it becomes ridiculous and that's what it is you know whenever we laugh at that's when we start to be able to laugh again and then we feel bad for laughing if we're being mean or something but you know what it's like a whole mood point at that point because when we learn to cry there's so many ways to cry and I think seeing the ridiculousness in all of it the irony the stupidity that we put ourselves through I mean that's what thank goodness for television has shown us that when we go through a thing we go through an ordeal where we suffered and then someone else points it out and goes huh hey, I went through this thing. And you're like, oh my God, I went through that thing. It sucked, right? Yeah, I was looked so stupid. What the hell? Yeah, that's kind of like how life kind of is about a lot of things, you know? 
And when it comes to real tragedy, that's when you get really serious. But actually, that's when it's the most at its own. That's when it's the saddest and the sweetest. That's when you have profound beauty in the sadness and sadness in the sadness. Because the irony is that we cannot look past our own sorrow. We cannot stop taking things too seriously. And that is in itself is extremely ridiculous and sad at the core of reality because they just want to, they being anyone, really is just about trying to love and how we will not give up the goose or whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. We will not give hand over the goose. We will not give up trying to find ways to be miserable and to remind and point out to anyone else that there's still things to be miserable about and still suffering to be had and we're mad about it. And you know what? I feel like that a lot. It's, it's this profound beauty in the crying. It's like, I cannot stop taking things too seriously. And that's sad and ridiculous. And it's not even ridiculous at that point. It's just sad. And it's silly that it is sad. So I'm going in circles here. You know, <laughs> my father passed away from ALS. He was my mentor and one of my best friends. I have profound reason to just want to sit down and cry for the rest of my life. I don't know how to move forward. I feel extremely unsupported. I have people around me who do care about me, but I cannot let them in. I only want to reconnect with him in some way in the spiritual world. How ridiculous is that? It's ridiculous, but it's also sad and beautiful and reason to cry <laughs> because there's nothing sadder and more beautiful than a 30-year-old woman on the floor staring at her eyes in the mirror and learning how to cry again while looking at a picture of her dead dad. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> and that's what I do sometimes. That's what I'm learning how to do. You know, I'm just... And then I have a deep fear in me of being made fun of because I'm going to look stupid or I'm going to, or that this is ridiculous. So I shouldn't dot, 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 but use the ridiculousness is what I'm saying. You either, you use it to cry and to laugh and to give up the game. I guess that was my point before. Give up the game, give up the goose. Lo admit that you lost the game <laughs> because you took it too seriously because you didn't see the profound beauty and, and experience the sadness. The game is not to laugh at everything it's not to mock sorrow it's not to mock suffering or belittle the suffering that has occurred in this world it's definitely not about that it is about appreciating it having gratitude for it going wow we all suffered because we're ridiculous because we didn't know better because this world is broken because of our own stupidity <laughs> And that's really profoundly sad that we haven't figured it out yet. And that's a beautiful thing to cry about. It's a very innocent thing to cry about. It's a very righteous, pure, spiritual thing to cry about. And I think spirituality needs to learn how to cry, to really feel the uh, gratitude and appreciation of ourselves going through our suffering and having come out the other side as individuals and as humanity. Thank you very much. You know, I've basically been struggling with the concept of like, oh, there's a shadow, there's light, there's a Buddha somewhere in this, the laughing Buddha, you know, 
how do we embrace our shadow? How do we go through a million childhood traumas? Like, you know, there's the grazing method that uh, Monroe points out of like, just wait for something to pop up and then tackle it as it comes to you. And that's another thing, which is that we don't have to drive ourselves crazy with all these techniques if we find one that works for us, like the idea, again, that we're just children acting and trying to figure out and learn things like child scientists go back to how it was as children. Nothing beyond the age, uh, this is my theory, that nothing beyond the age of 14 was not known before that. It's all just us like getting confused and messing it up again <laughs> and mucking things up again. Like if we just decided that 14 was the golden, it was the peak of our evolution as a human <laughs> and that everything before that was wiser than everything we did after that, then maybe there would be a better world because we would go, wait, I just want to have fun and experiment and have good friends and be nice to people. And like, if I'm a jerk and tease them, they have the right to slap me. Like, but, but my adult self inside of me, my mature, cause there are mature children, right? Like there really are. I was a very mature child. I was a babysitter at 14. If a child was a jerk to another child, I would be like, Hey, let's not do that. You know, you've developed your internal loving mother. You've developed your internal protective, caring father. You've developed you're all of your internal children by that point, by 14, you've really got it all already inside of you. I feel like everything after 14 could just be considered the forgetting process and the getting mixed up in the chaos of life process. And if we, this is my new theory, age of 14 is the cutoff. And yes, a lot of us were dumb and immature. That's why we have friends to learn from and they can slap us upside the head until we learn. And that's, uh, that's the gist of it. So yeah, all this like, oh, how, de how deep is the shadow? How deep does it go? What's in there? You know, yes, but also, yes, there's full of animals. It's full of demons that we invented. It's full of a lot of things. But, like, if you stick to, like, the sort of, like, the DMT elves view of the world or yourself as a child view of the world, it's a little bit like, huh, um, what would I do if I, if, what would a little kid do, really, if they encountered a dragon or, like, a big cool-looking demon thing, right? They'd be like, wow, that's cool-looking. I'm curious. I'm interested. What is that? Whoa. And then, A, either A, it's not dangerous. It just wants to stand there and be cool, like a statue. Like, maybe it is just a statue of a dragon or a demon. And they're like, wow, that's very cool. I love it. So, by nature, if it's not proposing a danger to us, it is interesting, beautiful, cool, a.k.a. That's what we do when we make television and fantasy. We use these creatures because a part of us loves all of these other worlds and all of these other beings and beasts and monsters. We love them in the context of they're not going to hurt us. When we fear them, it's because we fear that they have some sort of consequence, like they're going to hurt our body or ruin our mind or drag us to hell or some kind of action. So by nature, they're not dangerous or scary until we assign a danger to them. And uh, what happens next? I think the way a child would deal with, or the way that the, the sort of the, I call them the DMT elves. We need a better name, but for now I'm just going to call them that. DMT elf or the, the happy elf universe. How about that? Happy, silly, the silly elf universe. The silly elf universe and the children get together yourself as a child, and they agree that the way to treat a big scary monster, like, like a big monster like this, it's like, rawr, I'm going to attack you, and, or whatever. It just starts attacking you. And you're like, huh, let's put it in an arena where it can, all, clearly this thing, it, what it wants is either it wants love and acceptance, in which case it'll 
roll around and be a big doggy and have fun with us and yay we all love each other and accept each other yay let's all be friends that's one version or number two it won't listen to your love it will not respond to it it only wants to attack in that case all right we'll just put it in an arena where it can attack things it can do what it wants you know so either it maintains its free will or it accepts love either way everybody gets what everybody wants and it's like this question of morality and evil can be circumvented by the fact that it's an overthought, overwrought adult concept that didn't need to exist. We can backpedal and start deleting all that stuff. Now, I also love the animals analogy because I think in an ideal world, it would, we would all just be a bunch of big kids playing with animals and having a good time with them and also not subjecting them to horrible things. And so I feel like if we treated animals with love, respect, and just wanted to be silly with them, like we do in cute animal videos, then we're all taking care of each other and being kind to each other and having good values, which we know we ought to have, and therefore the world is literally back at kindergarten. <laughs> There's a parent and guardian to say, okay, like, let's keep things civil here, but you know what? We can manage ourselves with the best of both worlds, and, uh, you know, we, we can stop all of the cruelty to animals that we do in this world, perhaps, and start living in harmony with them and stop thinking of them as, like, the perpetrators of all the things because when we were earlier in human history we were like just little towns little villages trying to survive it was us versus nature animals were the biggest threat to our survival they were the monsters they were scary they were in the forest right so nowadays we've passed we've basically uh changed the world so that's not the case anymore animals are not the big scary monsters anymore we've literally done what i said in the previous analogy which is like we have tiger king now this is what has become of it we've taken the animals tigers from be we've changed them from big scary monsters to the animals that can be in the wild left alone away from humans where they don't kill everybody like wild animals do let them live their lives and we've separated those out from the the ones that live like in captivity who are basically forced into neoteny because they don't have to be wild. They don't have to feed themselves. We feed them and we play with them and basically they live a life as a child tiger forever or panther or any wild animal. We've brought out their child side. If you watch Tiger King, the tigers aren't constantly like, I'm going to kill you. Ah, how dare you put me in a cage? Tigers are not, they don't think and operate at that level. They are... Uh, I would use the term second density. First density is like plants, I guess, or it's rocks, I don't know. But uh, it's awareness, perhaps only awareness. Second density is things that are alive, that are doing, but they aren't able to think about thinking. They're not um, cognizant of their own free will. They are instinctive. They act on instinct mostly, but they are also capable of understanding a lot and love and all that stuff. So it's like animals. Uh, and then I think of domesticated animals belong to the upper second density. There's a bunch of books with this term. I don't remember which one started it, so I'm just going to explain it here. Uh, and then third density is self-awareness. The ability to be aware of your own emotions, thoughts, actions, which leads to planning and complexity, which is the human experience. And I think of lower third density as people who are on the simpler side, who just go about life, following the script, doing what they're told, trusting in the system of the system of like, this is reality that's been put forth for them. And I think of 
like as we move through our life cycles of reincarnation, we move up into higher third density, and that's where we become even more self-aware, even more analytical, trying to get out of like the circle of reincarnation and learning that love is the answer and how to follow it. And that's what I think a lot of humanity is on right now. And uh, on or on about, <laughs> everyone's just on about something these days. Same with me. I'm just trying to help uh, help myself and maybe somebody else resonates with it. So yeah. Keep it silly, folks. Just keep it silly. But like I said, animals are those monsters I described, right? They have two choices. They can be children with us and play with us, or they can, unfortunately, be killed by our hand, or live wild away from us, now that we are cognitive enough, cognizant enough to know that they have the right to do that. Early man was like, kill them all, or like, kill any of them that we encounter. So... You know, humans have changed and grown a lot, and I think we need to give ourselves credit for that, that we used to see animals as these monsters, and now we just have, like, really done a lot of interesting things with them. <laughs> like, we've taken them and their capacity into interesting directions that isn't the same as the wild, but we can't only say that, like, oh, a cat would have been better off as a, as a wild animal. Like, clearly cats and dogs and domestic animals, domesticated creatures, are happy enough in their lives when treated well. Look at dogs and cats. They just, they're, they're having a blast, you know? We tamed them from the wild. And that is an agreement, which I've said in other episodes. And they like it, because why? They're having fun. <laughs> they're silly. They get to be silly. They get fed. They get their needs met. In the end, everyone just wants all their needs met. And sometimes those needs are love. I think we all, at the core, want love. I think it becomes more, as we move up the densities, as an entity moves up the densities, they become more aware of this desire for love. I think at the early stages it's about survival, which, in the physical world that is, and survival is it is, is self-love, self-preservation, so you can continue living and experiencing things and playing this game of being a physical being. So that's self-love, and everything has to start with self and then move towards other later. There's like an order of operations here in the nature of being, because if you don't take care of yourself first, then you're at risk for ceasing to exist and ceasing to play the game. So you must secure a stable place in existence, meeting certain lower needs of survival, and then you can move on. It's the same with the chakra system. The root chakra is surviving, and then you have... The next one up is relationships. Then the next one up is life purpose. And then what happens, most people just live their lives on those first three chakra loop, trying to meet all of those needs, because that's the harshness of life sometimes. Survival, relationships, purpose. And if and then, you know, the mirror wall they talk about, which is that the fourth chakra, the next one up, the next level of evolution is love. It's the recognition that we all just want love and uh, this would be a fun way to, what is a fun way to live? <laughs> what is a fun way to be? Oh, what? We agreed to be humans because we are playing a game on a different level cosmically and that we thought this would be fun, but that we got tricked into not having fun. But then once it's, once it's over, we get to like cry for a minute about the cruelty about that and then laugh because it's over and it was just a game. Huh. Unless you don't believe in the concept of death, which I don't know because things literally die. 
you can't refute that <laughs> unless you think that death leads to ceasing existing entirely, which is very cruel. And uh, who wants to believe that? I don't think it's beneficial. I don't think it makes life better. I don't think it makes things happy. Why not? If you, if you can choose, you know, at some level. I had that choice. I was a materialist. And then I realized that it was not helpful. And at the very least, let's have some fun and experiment with more possibilities. Like that we're eternal beings who get to play lots of different games over the different universes that we invent for each other. It's just like there's a present, there's a past, there's a future. This is an illusion of time-space, right? But it is the idea that one entity sort of lived in an infinite presence and went, I'm bored. I'm going to invent another. I'm going to invent the concept of before and after. Now I have a buddy. All right. You guys want to play video? You know, hey, buddy, do you want to agree with me that there's a later? Yeah. I say there's a now. I say there's a later. Let's play a game. And then infinite games followed from there. So, to sum up this episode, this has been an episode on evolution of animals, people, our history with animals, our history with ourselves as a species and within ourselves. It's evolution in general and how they all tend to follow the same trend and how cyclical this is and how we're all slowly moving up and how the third chakra is also third density. That is not a coincidence. That is us as humans. We're in the third chakra of a greater being. We are trying to figure out that love is the answer. We're trying to learn how to love correctly and when and how and is everything love and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, can you relate to that? Yeah. Sound familiar? It's all just ridiculous, and that's when it becomes beautiful, because of the aforementioned rant. Don't take life too seriously. Have a good week, folks. Frogs and everything in between. I'm J.B. LaSalle, author of Barn of Wind, <sighs> and this has been a rant.